Hello everyone, welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast. This is my introduction to what the podcast is about, what you can expect to hear, what my motivation was for, for creating this resource. It seemed to me in my own experience that every different stage of my life was a, was a different misunderstanding. It never occurred to me that, that there was only one misunderstanding. So like I was always looking in a direction of addiction, anxiety, depression, grief, trauma, all the things that presented themselves to me in my life, you know, all the struggles that I had, you know, and I was always looking for specific help with a thing, you know, something that I'd made into something, you know, that looked, that looked like the problem at the time. So the vision for the podcast came out of my own misunderstanding in that people seem to think that they have like multiple misunderstandings of whatever that, which comes in the form of whatever they're suffering with at the time in, in the same way it did for me. So misunderstandings with an S of the mind, you know, it's like it was really about meeting people where they're at, you know, like people are looking for help with various things because to them it looks like that is what they're suffering with in the same way it looked like that for me. So really it's to give people, to point people in this direction, you know, in the, in the direction of the three principles, in the understanding of how the mind really works to maybe have the realization that there is only really one misunderstanding that just manifests itself in multiple ways. The podcast is about feeling better about life, about having a happier, more joyful, more connection with people, better relationships, more contentment and peace of mind. I'm hoping that people will see who they really are and people will see how the mind really works and how you know, the various manifestations of how people suffer show up. Look to me like something outside of myself would make me feel better. Now, on an intellectual level, it's really easy to get that. It's really easy to see that something else might make me feel better today, whether I buy something, whether I find a new relationship, whether I lose weight, whether I take a substance, whether I earn a certain amount of money. It's almost as if, you know, and those things work temporarily. They give you like a, a boost, a feeling. And, and, you know, that can create such an illusion that, that it looks like I have to keep doing that in order to feel okay. As a result of that, it looks to me that that's how life works, you know, and I, and I create the bigger illusions that when only I earn a million pounds, I'll be happy. When only I am a certain size body, I'll be happy. When only I get this certain relationship where I feel this way I'll be happy and in my own awakening what I understand was what I understood was that you know those feelings are only available right now in this moment in the now not in this moment in time but in the now when I'm present when I when I have a lack of thinking about the future about the past about what I should be doing about how am I doing about how am I going to do something when I'm just present in life what I realized was that that's the only place that those feelings are available. They're not available at any destination. You know, life is about the journey, not the destination. In my own story, my, um, my dad was killed in an accident when I was young. I was only five. And I remember it really vividly. You know, I remember the police being at the door. I remember my mum being hysterical. I remember being led away and um, not being allowed to go to the funeral. <clears throat> and um, 
it wasn't like I made a decision that my life was going to change or or that I, I didn't know what grief was. I was five years old. I didn't, I didn't know what struggling was. I mean, I didn't know. And so I just carried on through life and, um, you know, food became my friend. I remember that clearly. You know, when I look back at my memories, I remember being excited about stealing food. I remember being excited about when my mum went shopping, you know, because I knew there was going to be more food in the fridge that I could get away with eating. I remember when I got left in the house alone and I got excited about thinking, what could I eat when people left me? And And mostly I remember lots of arguments about who's eaten, who has eaten this, who's eaten that, and it was never me, you know, I, I was always one, no, it wasn't me, but it always was, you know, um, I was very disconnected from life, it, my life was very insular, in that I had my own little world, and I didn't want to invite anyone into that, and I didn't want to venture out of it either, I felt insecure, lonely disconnected from the world and um, my mum took me to psychiatric services when I was really young I mean I was I was so overweight by them because the food thing had took off and I was constantly eating more obsessed with food just just getting some comfort out of it because that's what I got out of food I didn't know it at the time I just thought I enjoyed food but looking back at it now, it was a sense of comfort, a sense of security that I'd learned. I'd learned a way of coping. And you can see the genius in that, you know, because I had feelings that I didn't like and I found a way of getting rid of them, you know, with food. So, yeah, my weight gain had gone up significantly and I was very unhappy. My mum took me to psychiatric services. I, I looked back at that a couple of years back and, and got my medical reports, you know, from back in the 80s. And some of them were just ridiculous. They said that I had signs of psychomotor retardation which I had to google at the time it was quite funny because it said that I'm slow and not too long after that I got you know one of the highest recorded IQs at a private school and got a full scholarship so you'd think someone might ask about that you know but nobody ever did so I was always labeled as this problem child I was put on antidepressants at you know at an early age less than 10 even and just was completely off the rails no concept of life, no understanding. I was just doing my best to get by. I was lost, really, you know, in the world. As soon as I started to think, the committee, you know, what I call the committee, which are basically thoughts, but a lot of them, overthinking in my head, were there on a daily basis. How I felt about myself, how I felt about the world, were all reflections of the thinking that I had. And I, and I got into crime at an early age, went off the rails, um, firstly, from home, you know, I used to st I used to steal money from home, uh, whatever I could get my hands on, whatever wasn't pinned down. I mean, there's some outrageous stories I've got about stealing money and going buying expensive bikes and motorbikes and and thinking that no one would even notice. I mean, I was just completely oblivious to to everything. I found drugs at a really young age. People used to say I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think I was actually in the right place at the right time because. Because when I found drugs, I'd been living in that body that I didn't like with the thoughts, overthinking on a daily basis that I didn't like and a mind full of just insanity, just completely separated from life and isolated, lonely, alone, overweight, 
craving love and attention and security and and thinking that it came from something outside of myself so when i when i found drugs i remember the very first drug i ever took was heroin and it wasn't because of any other reason other than i was found i'd met certain people who were taking it and i was curious and that was it and there was nothing inside of me that said that this might not be a good idea or i don't know i don't remember that to be the case it was just yes I'll try it. And I remember, you know, that was one of, you know, I have a few vivid memories and that's another one the first time I took heroin because for the first time in, since I'd started thinking, that that committee that I talked about, that overthinking, that painful experience of life that I was living, all of a sudden went away. It felt peaceful. It felt calm. I felt okay. I felt secure. I didn't need anything. I didn't want anything. It was a nice feeling. It, it was the thing that I thought I'd been looking for, you know, for my whole, ever since I'd started craving something outside of myself. And it makes sense. It makes sense to me that, that I would want to keep doing that. I remember thinking at the time, wow, you know, this is it. This is the thing that I've always been looking for. Anyone who hasn't tried this is missing out. And because I'd been committing crime as a child, and, and that's what I'd been doing, it just it was easy. It just came natural to go and commit tr- commit crime, to sell things, to buy drugs. That was that was what looked normal, and I, and I just went straight into that, you know, without even thinking about it. It was almost like I'd adopted an identity. I'd found a way, things to do. I found people to speak to. I had, you know, it was just a complete change in life. And I was only a young teenager at that age. So committing crime, taking drugs, was just, that was what it was every day until the point when, you know, I started going to jail and things got kind of out of hand. That was just a consistent cycle, you know, into jail, get by however I could, usually by staying away from people as much as possible, get released from jail. And another one of those vivid memories that I talked about was on the day of release, thinking I would just have one. I'll just have one. I'll just use once. I'll just get heroin just as a reward, just as a, because I haven't had it for a while, just because it would be good, you know, all those reasons. So I was like, I was already, you know, there was no, there was no respite for me. I was straight back into that life. And there was no thinking that I might not have one. It was a case of, I will just have one. So I'd go and get one, and that was it. I was straight back off again. Straight after one, I wanted another. Commit crime, get back in, end up back in jail, you know, and keep going around in that vicious cycle. And food was the addiction to food hadn't gone away. It was like food came secondary to drugs because there was a physical addiction with drugs, and I'd go out, commit crime, buy drugs, and then go shoplifting for food, chocolate sandwiches, cakes. And I'd sit at home, stoned, eating consistently, just stuffing my face. And it's like I had this, these rituals of, of what to do. It's like the hole inside of me was so big that nothing could fill it. I just kept wanting to put more in it, put more in it. And, and that was it. That was how it was. I mean, so much shit happened during that period of time. You know, to the point where there was only, there was only ever one inevitable outcome. It was death or change the only reason I changed was I was 
was fear of suicide and the fact that it had got shit so shitty that I just didn't want to live like that anymore. I ended up in a homeless hostel. I mean, nobody wanted to know me. My family had disowned me and I don't blame them. And I ended up in treatment. I only went to treatment because I thought that someone was going to feed me medication, Valium, and I was going to escape and reach oblivion. You know, but so I had quite a shock and, and, and got into 12-step recovery and things got externally better. You know, my life, my life got better. I got things on the outside of me. I, I gained material things, but in, my internal world got worse. You know, I went through the 12-step process m- multiple times over, over a couple of decades with lots of people in lots of different ways. And during that time, you know, my food addiction got worse, got better, got worse, got better. I, I was in and out of dysfunctional relationships, thinking to myself, I must have missed something in the 12 steps. You know, I, I, there must be something that I haven't got right. Constantly in that, like, still in that searching place, you know, feeling somewhat better, life getting somewhat better, looking like a productive member of society on the outside, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight. Things were just, things just weren't right. You know, that's why I went into therapy. So I thought, okay, I need something extra than this. So I went to therapy. I was a searcher. I'd always been searching for something. I started I started going to therapy. I ended up going to therapy for 10 years in the end. And, and after a couple of years, I decided that this was, there was more in this than there was in the 12 steps. So I, I, I went, I trained as a psychotherapist. Now, now, before that, you know, in my recovery, I'd, I'd lived overseas. I'd lived in Asia for 10 years. I'd done loads of long-haul flying. Um, I'd travelled around. I've done all sorts of stuff. As I said, my life had got better externally, but my internal world just got worse. I was always trying to escape from it. Now, I started training as a psychotherapist. And, you know, week in, week out, digging into my trauma, digging into my past, digging into my childhood, looking at the relationship with my mother, you know, because what I was told was you need to desensitize yourself to all these things. You know, what you talk about them, you get a different perspective and you get some clarity on, on what it's about and then it no longer affects you in the present day. You know, and I understand today that that's not true. It just doesn't work that way. The mind doesn't work that way. There may have been times when I got some respite from it, but overall I got worse. And I remember a real, probably about three years into my training, going through the the most horrific depression my daughter was perhaps about three at the time and um i had this like a cabin bed where she was high up and i, and I really didn't want to get out of bed in the morning so i used to have her like half the time she used to stay with me and i used to go in her room in the morning and i used to stand about 10 foot from the bed watching to see if i could see her chest moving to see if i to, to check she was still breathing because I had this fear that she would that she would be cold in the bed, and I used to wake up with this every day. And um, sometimes I could see her chest moving; she'd be breathing, and it'd be like I'd have this huge sense of relief and just feel really like, ah, you know, it's okay. And sometimes I couldn't tell because she was under the covers, and I'd I'd literally go over to the bed and and slide my hand under the covers, you know. And when I could f- start to feel warmth, I got that sense of relief that she was okay. And and maybe as a result of that, you know, is a great result of that is that we have such a strong bond and a connection. You know, she's definitely been the light in my life. 
but the depression that I went through, they, they asked me to go on medication and I just didn't want to. I was so scared. I didn't want to go back on medication because of the history that I had with drugs. So I just sat it out, you know, and, and, and went through those dark times. And then I noticed that I, I'd got anxiety. Like, I, I'd done all this flying when I lived in Asia, but I, I went to the airport one day and it's like, well, actually it was before the airport and just before I started thinking you know about getting ready for the holiday and things like that i started to get panicky and jittery think and in my mind i had these like videos playing of the plane going down into the sea and crashing and and my daughter was dead and you know and the plane was filling up with water like really vivid you know imagination but the thing was was that i was feeling a huge sense of anxiety with it and it's like i was really frightened and i was thinking what the fuck is this? You know, I've been flying for years. I used to fly on as a kid as well. It's like, I've never been scared of getting on a plane, but all of a sudden now I'm like overly anxious. You know, and the, and the sense I made of it at the time was, oh, because I'd been digging into trauma in the past and the loss of my dad because he was killed in an accident. It's like, I don't like being out of control, you know, and that does make psychological sense if you're working in the, in, in the psychological mind, you know, that... Um, because my dad was trapped in a vehicle and died so on that I didn't that I got anxiety when that happened to me and so that was kind of how I made sense of it um, but I found myself needing medication you know going to the doctors asking for medication and having to take medication before before I could go to the air before I could go I had to get it before I went to the airport but you know taking it before I got on a plane and I'd never had that before so you know, on on it went, you know, the story where things had got internally worse. You know, I'd been through depression, I'd been through anxiety, I'd struggled, you know, and, and at times there was some improvement. You know, there was a time of improvement. There was a time where things felt a little bit better. There was a time where I was able to lose weight, but it was never sustainable. It always went back to what it was like before. Um, things felt worse again. I went into dark times, you know, and, and alongside all of this, I'd built a successful business, built a successful business, you know, I'd, I'd done well for myself financially, on the outside, things looked really good, but something just wasn't right, you know, on the, on the inside, and I was still in that searching process. How it changed was that I think the universe was always in charge, you know, I realized that, that I wasn't driving the bus, you know, that's the, the saying that I love, you know, in my life, even though I thought I was at times. And um, I ended up in I ended up in LA for a, you know I'd moved from psychotherapy into coaching because it seemed like it fit more for for what I wanted to do you know I was just on this journey of discovery you know because of that searching I guess I mean that searching that I talked about served me well because it kept me looking you know in, in some direction in some way and even though at times people told me it was wrong oh you're always searching you'll never find it it's inside yourself you know I'd heard that so many times it was just a concept and it was meaningless and while in some ways I was like you know what do you mean part of me that thought that's true but I just don't see it you know and I ended up in LA at, um, a small group intensive with Michael Neal and I remember arriving there, you know, and I remember thinking, been at Tony Robbins before, so it was like 18-hour days and like, you know, I've got to get my money's worth, you know, so it needs to be long days. It needs, it's called an intensive, so it has to be really intense. I mean, I have to really dig into all this shit and find out what's really wrong with me, you know. It's kind of like, I mean, that was an expensive three days, you know, but it was like, so I was determined to get my money's worth because I had, I had a lot of stories around money. 
I remember arriving there with all these ideas about what I wanted and how long it should run. And the first thing I thought was, the days don't last very long. I'm not going to get, it's only so many hours. And I was working out how much per hour that would work out. You know, that was how much my money story was, was playing out. I remember writing down all these things that I said I wanted out of these three days. And Mike was like, he said, well, you know, the best thing he ever said to me was, you know, can you, can you have no ideas about how this should work? Just don't listen to make sense. Don't have any ideas about what you should get out of this. Don't have any ideas about how it should work and how it shouldn't work and how long it takes. And I was like, hmm, yeah, okay. You know, it was kind of like, because what I was doing hadn't worked, you know, so far. And just in that invitation, in that moment, to listen differently, to be present differently, to not get caught up in my mind or try and make sense you know using the intellectual mind what I'd learned or or the psychological training that I'd had not using that to make sense of anything just to be present and and to be curious about what's what's in the room and what and what was on offer so yeah so I went through the three days like that I, I he asked me to read the inside out revolution before you know and I tried to read it on the plane and couldn't read it so I read it in the evenings for those three days that I was there and I read the whole book. I've made some, it's the, it's the only time I ever made any notes in a three principles training, but I made a few notes and they're quite interesting. When I read them back now, even a couple of years into this journey, you know, it's kind of like, they still make perfect sense, but I didn't understand anything about the principles, you know. I remember at the end of those three days, I was kind of sat, I was sat at the back of this house, this Airbnb, and they had like one of those swings you know like a bench swing where you sit on it and it was like it was five o'clock the sun was going down and I had this great view over this like valley at the back and I just felt such a feeling of peace and I just thought wow you know isn't this amazing isn't this beautiful like and it was like all these problems that I turned up with three days earlier like felt like the weight of the world on my shoulders money I have to get a new job I have to do this I've got to sort this relationship out I need to lose weight I need all these things all of a sudden like nothing had changed and none of those things had gone away but I felt I felt like they weren't a problem anymore it was kind of like they just disappeared into insignificance you know and it was like and I was just looking sat on this swing you know like swinging and just smiling thinking wow isn't how have I missed this? You know, isn't life amazing? And it was like just a complete, you know, like transformation. When I sat there, I saw that I'd been a victim of my own thoughts for so long. I'd been a a victim of the reality that I'd created. All these problems that I thought existed only existed within me, that they didn't really exist. That I was playing a tape in my head consistently And I was reacting and acting to try to resolve things that weren't resolvable, you know, that that they weren't a problem to fix. They were just something that looked like a problem to me. And I spent so much time in stress and anxiety about these problems that I needed to fix that weren't even there. To make that a bit clearer, you know, they really looked like they were there. They looked true. They looked like there was something that I needed to do about them. That was the reality that I lived in. But I'd realized that that reality was created by me and only by me and not by the circumstances. What looked like multiple misunderstandings, you know, what looked like me trying to deal with those things that I'd made up, you know, like anxiety, depression, addiction, grief, trauma, all the things that I'd struggled with were just one this simple misunderstanding, you know, of how the mind works, of how the mind creates the reality that we live in. 
to me, it looked really like I was living within all these circumstances. You know, I was living with the diagnosis of depression, of anxiety, of addiction, you know, going to meetings saying that, um, you know, I'm an addict and, I, and I've got a disease and I'll be an addict for the rest of my life, you know, was, was just another belief, you know, another misunderstanding. And it was almost like a juggling act to keep dealing with all these diagnoses and finding out how to fix them, you know, but realizing that there was just one misunderstanding about how the mind works and how the mind creates reality, you know, so freeing. What that told me about change was that all the effort that I'd put in over the years, you know, all the searching, all the money I'd spent on therapy and trainings and um, meditations and retreats and all the stuff that I'd done searching for something, it's kind of like all came to me in that moment. It made perfect sense. The clarity that I got about how the mind works in that moment, everything changed. You know, it was simple. It was easy. It was like there was nothing to do. There was like no more anything needed to see, you know, just that. I mean, that small, profound change has led me on a journey that's, but I've ne that's never gone. That's never left me. I know, I, I can see clearly about how the mind creates stuff. Yeah, I'm still human and I get caught out in moments, but like those moments are short-lived. And I just quickly fall back into realizing who I am, you know, and, and, and how the mind works. My life has been unrecognizably happy and content and secure and, uh, you know, money worries have gone away, anxiety has gone away, I don't have depression. I don't struggle. Friendships have grown. Opportunities have grown. Business has changed. You know, it's like simple change has made a difference to all areas of my life. So the podcast is really helping people to see, you know, that there's one misunderstanding, misunderstanding of how the mind works, of how the mind creates reality. And my story, you know, is really showing, I guess, how clearly, you know, that to me, it really looked that way, that there are misunderstandings of the mind. And that's meeting people where they're at, kind of like, it really looked to me when I was get, struggling to get on a plane without medication, like I had a problem with anxiety and I needed to go to the doctor to get medication for anxiety and that I would talk to people about my anxiety, you know, and, and it was like a new thing. But like when I had my, my realization, it was kind of like, everything disappeared it was like i no longer struggled with anxiety i can get on a plane without in fact even a week ago when i got on a plane i, I imagined like us to be you know ending up in the sea i mean that thought is still there but it was just i went in the toilets and burst out laughing I thought how ridiculous that i would anxious about something like that so it's not like the thoughts have gone away it's just that i take them less seriously you know and that's what i'd love people to see you know from the podcast it's like just that small glimpse, you know, that I got of how that I created that reality, how when I was in a good mood or a bad mood that my thoughts looked different, how I struggled with all those different things because I was, I was living in the, in the reality that I created. Just that small glimpse made such a difference to everything, you know? So that's what I'd love for people to see from the podcast. You know, I'd love for them to see that how the mind works, how we create the reality that we live in and then make it into a thing and then spend time getting diagnoses and, and working with various, because the mental health profession will definitely give you a diagnosis and medicate it for you, kind of like, and, and confirm what you believe to be true. But there's a much simpler way of seeing what that suffering is about. I'd love the podcast to be a glimpse, beacon of hope, because that small saying just sounds so profound or so powerful because 
they had glimpses of hope, you know, it's kind of like, but they were very short lived and they soon disappeared, you know, replaced with misery and, and struggles. I know that what I've seen now is, you know, what I was looking for, you know, and it's like, I'd love to be that small glimpse or that beacon of hope that turns into a shining light, you know, like it did for me. I no longer have any feeling of searching kind of like, I know, you know, that what, what I've seen to be true is, is, is what I was always looking for. You know, that the answers are within the, how the mind works and has been created. So I'd love to be that. I'd love to ho- offer that opportunity for people to see that. The last thing I'd love to add is I, I'd love to invite my listeners to listen in the same way that I was invited to listen without any ideas about what you should get out of it without any ideas about how it works or how it doesn't work, without any expectations of what it means or doesn't mean, you know, and, and, and just listen with a, not to make sense of it from the psychological mind, but just allow it to bypass that and, and to see what's true, you know, what's really true for you and, and, and what's true for everyone about how life works.